Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. There are probably people listening who remember when the public schools went back into session after Labor Day, but here we are the day before the holiday, and Chicago already has two weeks of school in the rearview mirror. So how's it going? Well, this weekend... We ask the man at the top. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Pedro Martinez. He is the chief executive officer of the Chicago Public Schools. He is quite literally a product of CPS, brought to the U.S. from Mexico by his immigrant parents when he was five. He started out at West Side Schools and eventually became the first in his family to graduate high school and college. He came home to be CPS chief financial officer. He would later become the head of the San Antonio, Texas school system before getting the job here. Well, this is the first CPS school year to begin under his leadership, and we are recording this interview at Chicago Public Schools headquarters in The Loop. Pedro Martinez, thank you so much for playing host. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let's talk about this uh, first of the school year. We've had a very early kickoff to the new year, and thanks to a couple of years dominated by concerns about COVID-19, we've got new guidelines, new excitement, and maybe some new worries. So how would you say it is going so far, Mr. CEO? Well, Craig, you know, I'm very optimistic. I've been in schools. I was at schools throughout the summer, but especially these first two weeks of school, what I'm seeing is a sense of optimism, a sense of hope. I'm talking to students. I'm talking to teachers. Uh, they, they feel that this year could be our year that really, none of, you know, the pandemic will always, will, is, is with us, and, and I don't see, you know, unfortunately, we have to live with it. But we actually see this year being as a year of focus on academics and strong recovery. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, people are talking about this as as uh, going back to normal. But what are the early attendance figures showing you? So we're going to be releasing that data, you know, later later this uh, in September, Craig. Uh, but I will tell you right now, just you know, we're we're seeing an uptick, um, and we're and so right now. We're actually right now looking at multiple metrics from both last year and going into this year. Um, and I'm, I'm ha- I have a sense of optimism. Mm. Uh, with staffing shortages making headlines across the country and across professions, frankly, uh, how far behind is CPS? So I think I want to give a little bit of context on this because I know there's a lot of national news about shortages. In almost every employee group, we are ahead of where we were last year. So one of the challenges, so for example, teachers. 
Uh, we actually we actually started the school year with 300 more classroom teachers than we did any time than we had any time last year. We added significant a significant number of resources for the beginning of the school year. So we had added about 500 teachers, uh, teaching positions. We have added many support personnel, nurses, counselors, social workers. So we did see more openings. But actually, when you look at you know apples to apples, we actually have more people in our classrooms today than like I said any and any other time last year, and we feel that's necessary uh, because one of the things we heard from our schools and from our families is is as we're dealing with this pandemic, they just needed more people on the ground to provide support, and schools are feeling that. But I'm I'm obligated to point out last year was terrible. <laughs> so, how close are you to? what might be considered normal how close are you to what you're budgeted for yeah so um so last year was a difficult year craig there's no question about it uh, but i will tell you even last year we had a very low vacancy rate uh, we were just at about four percent this year we're going to be just slightly above four percent and when you look at uh just our ratios of staffing they've never been stronger now with that what made last year so difficult was the challenges we had with dealing with the pandemic. We didn't have our safety protocols the way where I wanted them to be when I first started here. I started at the end of September. I had had the advantage in my former district, which I had been there almost on my seventh year, to put in those safety protocols You know, early when the pandemic first started. This year, our protocols are strong. They're in place. So in addition to the extra, extra staffing that we have, I feel like we're, we're in a much better place. I also would say, Craig, when I look at last year, we're just starting to look at all of our academic data. It is, uh, it is, you know, we're consistent with the nation that we did, you know, we did see achievement that struggled, uh, you know, especially in the earlier grades. But I, what I also saw is that we started to stabilize. We stabilized our academic metrics, especially as compared to the remote year. And I see a, a good setup for this year to see really a significant amount of growth, academic growth. Um, let's talk a little bit about the COVID protocols. Uh, obviously, last year, working out the protocols with the Chicago Teachers Union turned out to be kind of a powder keg. Um, how did things go this year? So first of all, Craig, you know, I'm very excited and, and optimistic that, you know, first of all, we do have a safety agreement in place uh, that was approved by, by our partners in the Chicago Teachers Union. Both myself and President Stacey Gates have committed to work together and to be collaborative. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, that our relationship will develop. Of course, it, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take, you know, really both sides around making sure that we really address issues that concerns of our staff and our students. I feel very strong about our safety protocols. Uh, we have, for example, we continue to have screening testing in place. We have also home tests. By the way, home tests have become very popular with our families because, again, we still have cases. The most exciting component, though, I feel, uh, I feel about, uh, Craig, is the fact that we're not, we're able now to only isolate children that are positive. Uh, and so more of our children are, are staying in classrooms. They're being, they're staying in a safe manner. That also is going to contribute to us having a strong recovery year academically. Now, uh, some reports are saying that CPS reported more than 400 new cases of COVID-19 among the students uh, and hundreds among staff, three times the numbers last year. Uh, I know some kind of hike was expected. They're coming back together again. It's, 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 it's more of them around. But sh should anyone be concerned about the levels that we're seeing right now? 
So, Craig, first of all, you know, what's great about we know more about this pandemic today than we ever have. We know that the symptoms are much milder, although this variant is much uh, transmits a lot easier. We also have seen that when you look at, you know, the, the, the you know, over 600 schools, over 300,000 students, uh, when we see, you know, hundreds of cases, that's that's very that we expect that. Uh, and the fact that, you know, when you look at, you know, at our, you know, in some of our peaks, we were seeing multiple thousands of cases. We're not seeing that right now, even with a variant that's much more transmi- uh, transmi- transmissive. So, so we're going to keep an eye on it. Uh, and we, and the great news is, you know, be, through the new CDC guidance, we have learned as a nation, how, you know, what works and what keeps our children safe. So whenever we do see a case in our schools, we do ask children to mask up for, for 10 days. Same thing with staff. Uh, we again, we only have to isolate individuals that are positive. Uh, what we're also seeing is that, and, and we're going to keep monitoring this. Individuals that are positive also have mild symptoms, both staff and students. So again, this is an area that we'll just continue to work with families. I cannot, though, encourage enough vaccines. <laughs> uh, we have a new vaccine that's coming out that's specific to. It just got approved yesterday. The specific to. Uh, to to this variant, and so, and of course, I have to remind families, it's it's for it's for individuals who've already received the first two doses of vaccine. So please, have your children vaccinated if they have not received those first two doses. Please do that, and then you'll be able to be eligible for this new uh, vaccine that's actually very targeted to the new variant. Um, what are the signs that you need to see uh, that will tell you? This is all working, and we are on the right track. And conversely, um, what would make you consider tightening restrictions? So uh, we're always going to keep, you know, we're first we'll look at cases because that's an indicator. Uh, more importantly, we work with CDPH to look at are we seeing any transmission in the classrooms. So, so here's what's interesting. So we started uh, a pilot uh, right after the Christmas break in the last school year where we were doing more testing in classrooms where we saw cases. And we were keeping the children in the classrooms unless they were positive. And what we found out was that over 90% of the students that stood in the classrooms never, never had any transmission of COVID. And so we, and we had expanded that to over 40 schools by the end of the school year. We did that across all of our summer programs. And during, our, during the summer, Craig, we had over 90% of our schools open for summer programs. Hmm. And, we, and we saw similar results. What, uh, if I, as long as that stays consistent... Then we will be we will feel good if we see a if we see a significant number of cases expanding in classrooms, then that will cause a pause. But what what will happen in those those situations? First of all, we work with CDPH on every single uh, case. They give us guidance, and so first of all, we'll start with of course what we're doing now: stronger masking requirements, even if it's for a short term period. Uh, it could be the entire school if we see more risk. And so, and then we'll we'll go from there. So, so that's where we're going to first watch is not only cases, but also the transmission of cases. Uh, one other health issue. Let's talk a little bit about students' mental health. Uh, obviously, there are going to be some kids who are uh, who are not as uh, used to being in school. Uh, there's that, but do you have enough counselors and people to handle? kids who may still be either leery about going back to school or just kind of antsy and not really show socialized yet. So I think, Craig, you know, the approach we're taking, of course, you know, you know, we, we have to always continue to invest in counselors and social workers. That's a commitment that I've made publicly. 
as well as mental health experts. Uh, that's always going to be an area that we are going to be committed to. We are taking though a holistic approach in terms of we're trained all of our teachers. We have our social and emotional curriculum. Even as I was in schools last week and this week, I saw many activities where children were getting to express how they were feeling, any anxieties they had, getting to know each other. Uh, one of our goals that we set for our schools is that every child has to feel comfortable you know, speaking to our teachers, other adults in the building. So it's not just the counselors and, and really taking a whole team approach. And I'll tell you, uh, Greg, I, I, I just saw some wonderful activities that I feel that are going to help us to create that environment. With that, we will continue to, you know, and I will continue to, you know, partner, for example, with CDPH, who right now we're working with them because they've invested quite a bit in mental health resources in the community. What we've what we've seen, though, is a struggle to link those specific direct services to our schools. Mm. So we want to close that loop, knowing that, frankly, that there's still going to be a lot of need. Uh, also, one of the things that we're working with with the Department of Health is knowing which providers have capacity, uh, because one of the areas that we we do worry about is that when we see an acute need for services, uh, we because we saw during the pandemic many of our children exposed to crisis, and needing more of those acute services, making sure that we have providers that we can ensure that they'll have timely services, um, as well as continued a uh, continued uh, continued services. When we're looking at the academics, uh, after the, uh, two years like the two years we've just had, what are the consequences that we're seeing for students who are either trying to graduate or choose colleges or careers? Um, have they lost a step or several steps? Craig, so nationally, you know, one of my biggest concerns has always been for the class of 2020. That class, if you remember, that pandemic when the pandemic hit us in March of 2020, we shut everything down and it was so immediate. And this was both K-12 and higher ed. So that graduating class coming out of 2020 really, frankly, just didn't get the full experience. And then they started the fall, though for those who did choose to continue to go to college, they started remotely. I saw a large number of students, including here in Chicago, hold off college. So I do worry about that because one of the things I know about our students, many of them are first generation, many are low income students. When they hold off college, it's not like they're going out to Europe or doing, you know, trips abroad and, and you know, and taking, a, you know, one of those amazing years off. They're working. And, 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 and I worry that, you know, that could cause delay. So that is something that we have seen nationally. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is just to make sure that we're looking at where those students are at and calling them and just kind of, and we're working with the community colleges or working in universities. So that's always going to be a concern. The class of 21 was better. Uh, I actually, you know, saw more of them starting to attend college. Class of 22, I will tell you, Craig, um, I couldn't be prouder of them. So even though last year was a difficult year, our class of 22 had a record level of scholarships. We don't have the final numbers yet, but we already know they exceeded any class, even pre-pandemic. So that, for me, is a good indicator of college-going rates. It's also a good indicator. It's a good predictor of persistence uh, because we know that one of the challenges, one of the biggest challenges, especially for students here at CPS, is we get them into college, but if they don't have the financial support, it's very easy for them to drop out or, or really, you know, you know, take a year or, or two off and not and not go back. And so, and so that's something that I am watching very closely. Um, but we also this summer had brought 
tens of thousands of our, of our graduating seniors to make sure that they were ready for their college plan. And that was something that we that was a, a big, uh, we had done some activities like that in the past, but nothing as big as what we did this last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the situation for special needs students? Uh, that's always been a concern uh, for CPS anyway, but more of a concern in these days, I think. Special needs is a huge priority for me, for me as well, Craig. We invested significantly, uh, you know, in this last year alone, between thirty to fifty million dollars in increase just in additional teachers, by the way, uh, in special ed as well as uh, aides. So that will be a, continu- a continued investment. Uh, one of the things I've shared with you know with my staff is I I like the fact that we're investing so much with our with our diverse learners, uh, over a billion dollars with a B. It's the, it's it's the most we've ever invested uh, ever, and we and our population has been somewhat stable even when you look at over the last decade. What I really want though is better results, and I want our and I want our families to experience better services. So this is an area that I will just tell you we still struggle with. Uh, whether it's you know we I still don't see what I want for academic services, uh, therapeutic services is still a struggle. Transportation services it's better than last year. It's nowhere near where I want it to be. So this is an area that um, we have a blueprint that, that we're, we're rolling out to the community. One of the areas by design is, uh, is really examining closely what's happening with all of our diverse learner services, working with families, and trying to really get to, you know, what are the root challenges? Because I'm not going to be naive, Craig. Uh, we've had challenges. I was here in CPS during the early, uh, during the early and mid-2000s. We had challenges then. And by the way, we were spending about half of what we're spending now. Uh, now we're spending double with that, with about not that much of, you know, almost a similar, such slightly lower number of students. But I'm not, I'm not seeing the results. Mm-hmm. And so I've told my team, I love the fact that we're investing this much because that was a struggle in the early years. But I want to see better outcomes. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Pedro Martinez, the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. If you had to pick one thing for this school year, what would you say is the best news for for students this year? I think, Craig, um, number one, just the level of excitement that I saw in my staff. Uh, And I think that has set the tone um, at our schools for this year. Because when our staff feel ex- feel calm and they feel hopeful, that that's how our students begin to feel. Uh, I was, you know, you know, I was just at different schools, you know, you know, these last two weeks, and they're talking about homecoming events and uh, you know pep rallies and and just bringing students together, whether they're elementary school or high school. And I could see how staff feel really good about that, and and they know that they're doing it safely, but more importantly, they're energizing the students. And because I did start seeing an uptick, so, you know, last year we saw, our, you know, what we saw is that our high school students actually, especially as we got to last year, started navigating the pandemic in a much better way than our elementary children. I think that we're going to continue to see very strong metrics for our high school and secondary students. I think this year, though, is the year that we can really uh, see a strong bounce for our younger children. Because as a parent myself of, of, an, of an 8-year-old and a soon-to-be 12-year-old, I worry during the pandemic, Craig, the children that took took the, you know, really frankly, that had the hardest time has been our youngest children. I have children that are entering into their second or third grade. Some of them didn't, ha- you know, they missed out an academic year. I had, you know, uh, first graders that they didn't have preschool. I had some first graders that didn't even have pre- uh, kindergarten. 
And so those are areas that just concerns us, but we put a lot of supports in our schools. We have academic coaches in our schools that need them the most. We have intervention teachers that are freed up to work with work with our children. I'm very interested to seeing with the, the just the, the the positive attitude that I'm seeing together with those investments. I'm very interested to see how we can really just improve our results this year. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me a quick update on the bus driver shortage, which I know is nationwide, but uh, but of course. You know, parents in Chicago aren't going to be comforted knowing that Philadelphia is having the same problems they are. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a real struggle, uh, and it's across the entire country. Um, one of the things that we have done, Craig, is we increase rates, uh, pay rates, because even during the summer, I started seeing more of our drivers going to the suburbs. And I had to just ask the question, what is happening there? And what, what I found out was that our pay rates were you know, below the suburbs. And the suburbs have been starting at $20, going up to 25 We were at $16, going up to 20 And we said no. So we changed that. And now all of our drivers are starting at 20 going up to $25. We're still hiring. The challenge we see is that because the economy has been so strong and there's a demand for drivers with CDL licenses, we're competing with Amazon, we're competing with Walmart, we're competing with all these companies. And, and it's, again, and I, I'm happy for our community members that they can get those jobs. So, so we, we, we know we're going to be in this, at least for the short term. We've expanded our services through vans and taxis. Uh, we're routing more students today than ever, but it's still not enough. And so the challenge we've had, Craig, is that uh, we saw our route times get longer, and that's been a real concern. Uh, we strive to get as many of our routes under an hour. 80% are under an hour. The average the average time right now is 39 minutes. We could easily, you know, if we had a, a couple hundred more bus drivers, I mean, that, that could really ease help us ease that. But right now, that's our struggle. Um, and so right now, we do see about just under 360 students that have routes that for me are just, you know, I'm go- we're going in through each individual route because some of those routes are over an hour and a half, and I want to make sure that we understand that. So w- what I have asked families is, please be patient with us. Um, we're dealing, as we see issues, we're dealing with those individually. I've had our staff contact these 360 families or so just to make sure, you know, we understand. Uh, you know, in some cases, Craig, we might have a family who's going to a private therapeutic school that is literally an hour and a half away from their home, and there's not much we can do about that. There's other cases where I see opportunities for us to reroute some of the children. So the goal is during this month of September uh, to make sure that every child's routed, and I can tell you that by Tuesday, um, every child that we had a request from uh, up to the first day of school, everybody will be routed. Uh, last year, it took us to after the Christmas break for us to be able to route all of our students. So that we'll take care of. We have new routes that are being, uh, new students that are coming in as well, and we're getting those routed uh, within a two-week period is, is the goal. Um, but of course, you know, like I said, I really want to make sure that we also start reducing some of those route times. So, so we are, you know, I would say we're, we're a couple hundred drivers short of, you know, where we want to be, but we're still ahead of last year. Another major concern for parents and everyone uh, is public safety. Uh, even if the schools themselves are pretty safe havens, uh, it must be frustrating uh, to see the violence outside the schools. Sadly, just one case directly uh, outside the school but and in the neighborhood streets and what the school system can do about that and, and in some cases can't. 
Yeah, Craig, it's, um, and for me, it's actually sad because I mean, I've grown up in Chicago. Uh, I grew up in the Lower West Side in Pilsen. Uh, I share this story. Um, I went to Benito Juarez, my neighborhood high school. Even during that time, and this was in the you know mid eighty, early and mid eighties, I always had to take the the main streets, like Eighteenth Street, because I didn't feel safe going through the inner streets. Even though it was it was a shorter path for me to get to the school, uh, because I wanted to make sure there was traffic. I wanted to make sure there were people, um, especially for my first period classes, which sometimes you know as as we get to the winter, there's not, the sun is not even out, and so I I, I lived that experience. And here we are now, you know, and, you know, today, and I'm, when I see incidents, you know, like we had even last week, it's, it's, a, it's a constant reminder that we cannot take safety for granted. So first we start with what we control in our own schools. And, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm pleased that, you know, when we ask our students how they feel about their schools, they feel safe in our schools. But we've invested in more personnel. Uh, more equipment. We're in the process right now of upgrading all of our cameras. We're going to be, we had a huge uh, backlog in, in cameras. And so what I, you know, what I told our team, I want everything upgraded within the next three years um, because it's been such a huge backlog that's been going on for a decade. I said, we got to get this done. Um, as well as we, we're taking a holistic approach of not only our, our security personnel, but our teachers, our counselors, the social workers. Where I am humbled, Craig, that I that I just want to learn more is how do I uh, how do I address these that I can't control? So just outside of the schools, um, in the community, especially when it's right, you know, close to you know you know the parting times for for the school. How do we create safe zones there? Um, you know, we do have a safe passage workers, which I'm very proud of, and I plan to expand those because I see the benefit of having those safe passage workers that frankly, just make our children feel safer walking to and from school. I see that as, as one of the opportunities to expand that. But I want to I do more. And this is an area that I want to partner with both the city and the county. I think, it's, I think it has to be something that we as a city have to take on. But it's complicated. And, you know, I mean, there's multiple layers to it from issues around guns, issues around, you know, just um, sometimes perception of communities. Uh, that frankly creates challenges for my schools. So, so again, you know, this is an area that I'm going to just continue to just be committed to work with the community on. Inequities among schools in different neighborhoods uh, has long been a, a problem in in Chicago and and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, has the progress in evening things out um, suffered mainly because of COVID and what? happens now what can you do now yeah so craig so here's what we know about this pandemic and this is nationwide the pandemic frankly made the inequities greater if you even look at what happened in our society um, the wealthy got even much wealthier during this pandemic and those who had less and we didn't think they could get you know it could be worse for them it was worse for them in so many ways and you saw the issues around access to health care um, access to food. I mean, just the basic necessities. And so for me, um, we have to just know that. And we have to just, you know, talk about that and, and be very public about it. What we did this year for our schools is we put for the first time strong foundational resources across every school. So whether it was access to the arts, uh, intervention teachers, uh, for those schools who had newer teachers, academic coaches on site that can work with the principals and the teachers. And that's a beginning. And we're going to continue to invest. I'm very proud that if you go to, you know, if you go to our schools, 
Um, you know, they're better resourced today than they ever have. We had a record number of summer programs. Every school, we, and I told my team, you don't say no. So if somebody wants to create an enrichment program, whether it's a math camp, a reading camp, an arts camp, a sports camp, you don't say no. So let's understand it. Let's work with it. Make sure they have the staff that want to do it or the partner, the community partner. We had a record number of students this year in the summer programs, over 90, close to 91,000. We're going to do the same thing, Craig, with after-school programs as well, and we're starting them earlier. What I will say, for me, the next phase of it is going deeper and saying, okay, we're going to kick this off in September. We want to, we want to look at all of the programs that we offer across the city. We're going to map those out, inventory them, set a standard for quality. And my question is, for example, International Baccalaureate is a great example. It's, it's one of our success stories here in the district. It's helped our, district, our high schools get stronger. My question is, I have an IB program at Bogan High School in the far southwest side. I have one at Kenwood, which I love. It's one of my favorite schools. shouldn't say that, but <laughs> uh, we have programs at Lincoln Park. We have programs at Prosser, at Benito Juarez, at Curie, at Kelly. What is that standard of quality? Is everybody up to that standard? And if not, let's make sure everybody's up to that standard. But that's just one example. I want to do the same thing with our fine art programs, our STEM programs, our extracurriculars. So that work, Craig, is going to, is going to, is going to be launched this month in September. We, we wanted to focus on having a smooth start of the school year. But now that we're there, that's the next step. And what I want is for families to see immediately that we're going to make investments in these areas. I'm using these examples in high school, but we're also going to be doing the same thing in elementary. And that is going to be our final word. We are out of time. Thank you. Pedro Martinez is the uh, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, and I thank you for spending the time with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage, and you can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening until then. I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.